Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. This week on the Chicago Bears Review. With one final stop left on our trip through the AFC North, we now travel over to the Keystone State and catch up with the defending AFC North Division champions in the Pittsburgh Steelers. Can the Steelers stay on top of the division, or will they be moved aside? Jeff Hartman from Behind the Steel Curtain joins us on the final AFC North preview episode of the Chicago Bears Review. As we continue moving right along with our filling up of the boring summer months, we complete our AFC North journey today with the Pittsburgh Steelers. What's going on, everybody? Larry D. back for the finale, if you will, of the AFC North previews of the Chicago Bears review. This is, uh, I think, uh, number six, number six out of, I think, 14 of these preview episodes that we do let's do the math real quick we got two uh same place opponents we got four uh afc north so that's six plus four more um nfc south which we will be diving into later on this week and then we have three afc north teams and the bears so that is 14 so we're almost halfway so the later on this week when we uh when we start the af excuse me the nfc south that will officially be the halfway mark uh, of these uh, of this journey uh, of ours, and we'll have uh, Brian Beverslus from Cat Scratch Reader from SB Nation to uh, help us preview the uh, Carolina Panthers. And I was just um, working on uh, some of the research today, and I was writing the intro for next week's show. And basically, uh, you know, that little question I like to throw in the middle there. Um, and basically the question was, you know, which, which season was the fluke? Was it last season? You know, the fluke where they were six and 10 and, and, you know, finished in last place in their division or was 2015 the fluke when they went 15 and one stormed their way through the NFC and made it to the Super Bowl only to, you know, lose uh, to the Broncos. So, I mean, which team is it? I mean, will, you know, will the real slim shady please stand up kind of thing. So, you know, which which team is the one that will represent Carolina? Will it be that six and ten team that could never seem to find its footing? Will it be the fifteen and one team that ran right through everyone, you know, through the NFC and, and through the twenty fifteen schedule on their way to Super Bowl fifty? So twenty seventeen, you know, will be a way of finding out the answer to that. And Brian will be joining us on the show later this week to uh to to give us his take and, and what a Panther fan thinks that the uh the odds that, uh, uh, you know, which one was the fluke and which one wasn't, um, you know, that, that'll be the, the question that I'm really trying to get answered uh, when we have him on. on, uh, on uh, I think we're talking to him Thursday, so the show should be out 
Friday, Saturday at the latest. And the only reason there would be any kind of delay is uh, going out of town uh, this weekend. My gorgeous uh, niece Jasmine graduated from uh, middle school and my sister is having her big graduation party uh, this weekend. So I'm going to be traveling out there to make sure that uh, I celebrate with the uh, family on that. So, um, you know, probably get everything, you know, recorded and edited and put together on on Thursday. And then it's just a matter of uh, when I get a minute to myself to get it posted uh, on Friday. So um, my routine lately has been, you know, because I record these shows after work as I come home, I record the show, then I edit it together and I actually post it first thing before I go to bed or last thing I should say before I go to bed, because I know that there's that delay from when I post it on the host site on Podbean to when it finally shows up on iTunes so that when I when I make the announcement the next morning and tell everyone it's on iTunes, Google Play or uh, or at podbean.com it's already at uh you know or should already be on on iTunes. If it isn't let me know and I'll uh I'll get on Apple because I think you know I think the latest that I posted a show was around 11 o'clock at night before I go to bed and I'm posting the announcement that it's coming out at about eight o'clock in the morning right before I uh, head into the building to go to work. So nine hours should be plenty of time uh, for a show to get posted. If it's not there, when you see my announcement, you let me know and I'll try to get down to the, uh, to the bottom of it. So, but anyway, enough of this talk about the Panthers and so on and so forth. We are here to talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, Jeff Hartman from SB Nations behind the steel curtain will be joining us here in a few minutes to, to dive into um, this is the first playoff team that we're going to be talking about because uh, the God bless them, the Bengals, the Ravens and the Browns did not make the playoffs last year. And uh, this team in particular, the Steelers, I'm very interested in talking about because they got off to like a three and one start and then lost four games in a row, um, you know, and, and, you know, then finished off by like winning like seven in a row to finish out uh, the year. And I think they were almost up to, I think they had like nine or 10 wins together before losing in the AFC title game to the eventual Super Bowl champion uh, in the Patriots. And they just can't seem to lick the Patriots in that AFC title game. It, it's, uh, I think they've played three, three or four times in the AFC title game. They've lost every single time uh, to them. So Brady in the AFC title game, regardless of the location, because the, the Patriots have beaten the Steelers in Pittsburgh and uh, in New England just when the stakes are at their highest as far as the conference championship is concerned. Big Ben and company just can't uh, beat Brady and, uh, and Belichick. So we'll talk to Jeff about that, what went wrong in that AFC title game, and uh, what did the Steelers do to improve their chances uh, in 2017, God forbid they get another shot uh, in the playoffs against the Patriots. So, uh, as we talked about last time, minicamp has broken. The Bears are officially on vacation for the next uh, six, seven weeks or so before training camp begins. I think it was July 26th uh, in Bourbon. I think that's a Wednesday or a Thursday, something like that. Uh, that's when, or maybe that's when they report to Bourbon on the 26th and they start practice the next day on the 27th or that's maybe when rookies show up or whatever the case may be. But, um, you know, a couple of headlines that I was looking at, um, one, uh, Akeem Nick Hicks, I should say Akeem Hicks, uh, a year after leaving the Patriots for the bears has no regrets, you know, basically walked away from the best team in football, obviously, uh, to, uh, one that picked third overall, uh, in the draft. So one of the team's league's worst, um, you know, basically he was, uh, he had an offer to stay, uh, in New England and decided to to go off to Chicago. And um, when asked if he regretted it, uh, he said, and I quote, not in the slightest, because one of the reasons I came here was a chance to rebuild. 
I had a chance to be a part of something growing, be a prominent player. Um, I enjoyed the aspect of that. I think that it's going to benefit me uh, going forward. So, you know, he he did, however, think that playing on a 3-13 and team cost him a trip to the Pro Bowl, and I think he's definitely uh, right there. And I liked what he said. He said, I'll say this. I know there's a couple of guys that went to the Pro Bowl last year at the defensive end, defensive interior position that I've um, that I've made way more plays and played better than. That's just part of the game. There's going to be guys that get in. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. If they have the right city, the right team, the right things going on, and team wins play a big part in that. The more success for your team, the more spotlight gets put on you. I do my compare myself as one of the better defensive interior guys uh, in the league, and and I hope, I hope that um, you know there is some kind of extension talk so that uh, this guy and and I honestly believe that he will is going to play himself out of the Bears' price range if the Bears don't lock him up now. You know, pay a little bit more now or try to compete with the rest of the league uh, next year. So, I mean, this this, this, guy's, this sounds like a guy that, um, God bless him, if he earns the opportunity to, to get one of those big contracts, he's not going to be thinking hometown discount for the Bears. You know what I'm saying? Um, he's going to be looking to make his money because I think he's, by the time that contract comes through, he'll be like a five- or a six-year vet. Shelf life's getting shorter all the time. And he's going to go out and try to get the most that he can for himself, for his future, his family, and so on. And, of course, we'd all be pissed and hate to see him go, but can you blame him, you know, kind of thing. So hopefully the Bears are trying to make some kind of talk to lock him up for, uh, you know, for the foreseeable future and uh, make sure that um, he and uh, um, Eddie Goldman and, and hopefully even Jay Howard, hopefully he has a rejuvenated type year, uh, you know, be a nice problem to have for the Bears try to figure out how to keep those three guys uh, together uh, going forward if we have the kind of success that we're hoping to uh, on defense. And then the other thing I want to talk about before I bring Jeff in to talk about the uh, the Steelers was a, um, a Packer fan is suing the Bears over their sideline ban on Packers. Or actually, it's, it's about opposing teams, not just the Packers, but opposing teams. Uh, I saw this on Pro Football Weekly. Um, one Green Bay Packer fan is going to court over a favorite Wisconsin pastime in the travel Chicago Bears. Russell Beckham, Beckman is the guy's name, filed a lawsuit in federal court on Friday accusing the Bears of violating his free speech rights by prohibiting fans from wearing Packers apparel. It's, it's opposing team apparel. Uh, uh, at Bears pregame warm-ups, he is seeking a court order lifting the ban. Uh, he lives in Mount Pleasant, Wisconsin, near the border of uh, Illinois and Wisconsin, and has Bears season tickets. So what the hell is a Packer fan doing with Bears season tickets? I mean, it can't be because they're easier to get. 
Um, season ticket holders can attend certain pregame warmups on the sidelines. The Bears sent Beckman an email before a December Bears-Packers game warning in capital letters, no opposing team gear will be allowed. He went in the Packers game. He went in Packers apparel anyway, and he was turned away. So I, um, yeah, this is not free speech. I, 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 I don't, uh, you know, good for him for getting it into in front of a judge. But I, I ultimately think he's going to lose that one. This, this is not a, a free speech thing. You're a Bears season ticket holder. You know the rules. You're going to a Bears game where they, and they warned you ahead of time. They told you not to do it. You did it anyway. You know, like if I was a Bears fan and I was going to a Packer game in the same instance and I told them basically that, you know, they told me you're not allowed to wear Bears gear on the sidelines. And I said, well, screw you. I'm wearing it anyway. I would have, I would expect, I would half expect walking in there for them to turn me away. Like I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, you know, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. And I know that this basically sounds like I'm enjoying this guy's misfortune. It's just like. You know, basically you're asking for trouble, you know, you got an email specifically. So they know that you are a Packer fan and that you have this, the, the, this access to these pregame warmups and so on and so forth and told you do not wear opposing team apparel on the sidelines during the team warmups. I mean, I'm sure that they let him in the stadium wearing the Packer gear to, to sit in, uh, you know, to sit in his seats that he pays for, but you know, I, you know, like I said, if it was me and I wanted to be a smart ass and, and walk into Lambo wearing Bears gear when I was explicitly told by the Packers organization that I would not be allowed to do so. And I tried to go anyway, I would expect to be turned away. I would. So, I mean, if this guy, honestly, the only thing that I see this guy as has a leg to stand on is if they didn't let him into the game, period. You know, if, if they just didn't let him into the pregame warmups, they told you not to do it and you decided you were going to do it anyway and you lost. But, you know, the only reason that I could see my even mildly supporting the guy was if they completely threw him out and didn't let him in the stadium altogether. So that would be that would be a step too far. But telling him that he couldn't be there during those special pregame warmups, I don't see what the issue is there. I don't. So, you know, that's I just thought it was funny that a Packer fan a Packer fan and somehow also a season ticket holder suing the bears because he was told that he couldn't wear his Packer gear on the sidelines and like a dickhead, he decided to do it anyway. So, uh, go figure. Anyway, like I said, that's all I got. Uh, just those couple of tidbits. Um, you know, Akeem Hicks, um, you know, talking about how he doesn't regret. And I, I, I believe him because you know, some guys, you just got to take that chance. You know, you know, you have that offer on the table, uh, from the from the, the the Patriots, but you want to go someplace, you know, it, it's not crazy to want to do what what Akeem said to, to be a part of of being rebuilding something. I mean, how amazing would it feel to join the team that he did, and then one day take him to the playoffs, and God forbid, uh, go to a Super Bowl and win a championship? You know, when when everything was lean and and uh, you know things were were going against them, and then the next thing you know, they're hoisting the trophy, and you know how amazing would that feel? You know, it, you know, for, for all the work and, 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 and it, that it takes to, to make it to the Super Bowl and to win and, and the satisfaction that teams like the Patriots and such might must feel, um, it's not a big deal. You know, like Patriot fans expect the Patriots to be, they've been in like what, six AFC championship games in a row. 
I mean, can you remember the last time that they weren't? I mean, I'm trying to think about it now. The first one that comes to mind is 2008. No, 2010. 2010, I think, was the last one. 2010, which was um, the year that the Bears uh, made it to the NFC title game um, against the Packers. The AFC title game on the other side was the Steelers and the Jets. That was the AFC title game uh, that year. I think every year since then, it's been the Patriots win or lose in the AFC championship game, basically since the start of the decade. They've been in every single one. So, you know, it'd be a hell of a thing if Akeem Hicks was was one of the foundation pieces that helped the Bears return to uh, glory. So I can definitely see where he was coming from because it's not like he made a ton more money than what the Patriots were offering. I'm sure the Bears did offer a little bit more than New England does because that's New England's M.O. You know, you take a pay cut, but you win a championship kind of thing. That's that's the that's the life that the Patriots can sell. But uh, with the Bears, it's, uh, you know, we offer a little more. You can come, you'll play every day, and you'll be a key contributor and, and help us get to get to where we want to go. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, you know, so Akeem Hicks, happy to be in Chicago, doesn't regret it. Hopefully we'll be hearing the same thing about a year from now from Jay Howard um, and, uh, you know, everyone else who signed a new contract with the with the Bears this year. So that's going to do it for our news and notes section. We're going to go ahead and bring our, our new friend, uh, Jeff Hartman from behind the steel curtain to talk about the, the Pittsburgh Steelers 2016 and 2017 and beyond. And before we close the book on the AFC North Division, we have to go ahead and talk about the one playoff team that came out of the division and the defending division champion in the Pittsburgh Steelers. And here to help us with that is uh, Jeff Hartman from Behind the Steel Curtain uh, on SB Nation. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us here on the Chicago Bears Review. All right. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, Not a problem. So one thing that we do like to ask all of our new uh, friends that we have on the show is – you know, um, basically, how long have you been a fan? Um, are, you know, are you from the Pittsburgh area, and do you have a favorite Steeler moment? Uh, you know, in in your time as a fan. Um, been a fan my whole life. I was raised into it. I kind of grew up in the extended Pittsburgh area. Um, don't live there anymore. I moved to Maryland, uh, so I'm actually in Ravens country right now. But oh. uh, other than that, uh, a favorite Steelers moment uh, for me. Uh, there, were, there were so many uh, that it's tough to nail down. I'd have to probably say Super Bowl Forty Three, mm. um, just in general. Whether it's James Harrison's incredible return at the end of the first half, intercepting Kurt Warner, sure, or Santonio Holmes' incredible in, uh, touchdown catch with the pass from Ben Roethlisberger, it was a tremendous game. A lot of big plays. The Memphis Saints was a tremendous football game. I'd have to go with that probably. You know, I've uh, you know it was an amazing game. Um, you know, the, the especially. You know, the the Cardinals making a game out of it with Fitzgerald scoring that touchdown late in the game uh, and everything. And um, every single time I watch that, that Santonio San Holmes touchdown, I swear to God, I don't see two feet down. I swear, maybe he maybe he dragged it down when he fell. But whenever they, you know, they show that they 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 slow frame that moment 
right when the ball he gets into his hands and I see a tippy toe and the other toe just like a centimeter or two off the ground. I don't see two feet on the ground. And I guess maybe that's because I was rooting for the Cardinals in that particular game. Uh, but uh, every time I see it, it's like I, I still don't see two feet. I still don't see it. <laughs> well, Cardinals fans are still, I mean, and not just fans, but there's media that actually write an article every year about how they feel the same way that you just described. And there are still images out there that actually show those feet down and you can still see the football in his hands. It uh-huh. wasn't long, uh, but he did get two feet down. I, I think it was one of the greatest catches in, in Super Bowl history, but I think the James Harrison's return was sometimes it's overshadowed by the way the game ended with Santana Holmes. I think the James Harrison's return could quite, quite possibly be the greatest play in Super Bowl history. I wouldn't argue that. That's, uh, you know, that's, I mean, when, the way he went coast to coast like that, especially with the people he was sharing the field with on that play. I mean, he was on the field with Bolden and, you know, Fitzgerald. And Fitzgerald, who ran him down and actually probably would have. You ever seen the replay of Fitzgerald chasing him down the sideline? Antrell Roll, who was, you know, on the sideline, got in Larry Fitzgerald's way and slowed him down. Harrison might have actually gotten caught if that hadn't happened. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a tremendous play all around. It was, like I said, it was a great game. Um, it, was, yeah. it was great. I think the only other game that comes to mind with me is uh, the AFC Championship game that year when the uh, Steelers beat the Ravens. It was Troy Collins all the interception of Joe Flacco, and he returned it for a touchdown to ice the game at Heinz Field. And the place just went absolutely bonkers. Um, that would be a close second. But that, that, that whole year was pretty special for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now let me ask you one question before we get started with the uh, you know with 2016 and everything. I have talked to all three of your AFC North brethren um, from different uh, outlets, and all three of them agree that each team that the Steelers are their chief rival. So the Browns said the same thing. The Bengals said it. Obviously, the Ravens are going to say it. So I'm now I'm asking the Steelers, who is the chief rival for the Steelers? Um. For me, I, I think it depends on how you define a rivalry. Okay. If you're talking about hatred, if you're talking about hatred, it's the Cincinnati Bengals. Okay. Uh, the way Vontez Burford plays, um, the way that that team carries themselves, uh, the recent history, even in the playoffs in 2015, um, those two teams hate each other. And you see that on the field. I mean, it, it sometimes can get borderline scary to watch. But when you talk about a respected rivalry, they don't, they don't like each other. I'm not saying that. Their biggest rival is the Baltimore Ravens. Right. I don't think anyone, fans, players included, take the Cincinnati Bengals seriously. Uh, they see them as just a bunch of talking heads that are just going to choke when it counts, and history says that that's exactly what they're going to do. The Baltimore Ravens, on the other hand, are the team that you have to focus on. You know every year, if you're going to win the AFC North, you're going to have to take care of the Ravens. So I would say that the Ravens are their chief rival, but if you're talking about hatred, this is pure <laughs> bloodlust hatred right. and that would be the, that would be the Bengals though I mean the Browns they're the Browns it's, yeah, it's, 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 you have to be pretty old to find somebody that says the Browns and we were talking back in the 70s and, and earlier than that when the Browns were actually legitimate so uh, for me I'm not that old so yeah Browns are just an afterthought right it, it kind of reminds me of, of how the like the rivalry for the Bears right now obviously number one as far like you said as far as you know, respect and you know history and everything, it would have to be the the Packers. But when it comes down to straight up, like you say, bloodlust and hatred, it's the Lions. 
um, because there's yeah. always something going on in those games that, you know, that always happens one way or another that brings out the kind of, emo- and, and quite honestly, you know, as much as I want to beat the Packers, as much as I hate losing to him or to them, I should say, the team that I cannot stand losing to is Detroit. Like I absolutely like the, uh, before we finally won a game against them last year, we hadn't beat them. Like we lost six games in a row. We lo- we gotten swept three seasons in a row by the Lions, and it drove me nuts more every single time that it happened. So um, I definitely get where you're coming from with the there's the hated rival, and then there's the the main or the the respected or the number one rival, if you will. So I definitely get yeah. where you're coming from there. So last year you guys had kind of a an odd season. It's definitely a season of two halves because. The first half of the season, you, you come right out of the, the gates. And even if you wanted to break the season down into quarters, the first quarter of the season, you're 3-1. and one. Um, You know, the only loss that you have is is what can only – I mean, just looking at, like, the scores, you know, you beat the Redskins, you beat the Bengals, then get, um, you know, the, I, what I – I don't know. Like, t- tell me about that Philadelphia game. I mean, was it – was it was it a fluke? Was it you know just not Pittsburgh's day because the score was thirty four to three? I, I didn't number one. I don't think number one anyone thought the the Eagles would be able to beat the Steelers, let alone beat them the way they did that day. Um, that was a that was a fluke game, um, in my opinion. Uh, the Steelers, who actually received the football to start the, the game, drove down the field, and that was just a sequence of events that happened that just made you know as a fan or someone that covers the team closely that this just might not be there. Spurger on a third and goal play hits Marcus Wheaton, who you should know well, is a new Chicago Bear, I believe, hmm. um, drops the ball right in between his numbers. Oh, that's and good. So instead of getting a touch, exactly. Um, instead of a touchdown, they had to settle for a field goal. Chris Boswell, who is normally extremely reliable, yanks the kick. And next thing you know, the Eagles have the ball. They should be down at least three to nothing, and they aren't. It's tied near the They drive down the field, score a touchdown, make it look easy. And from that point on, you're thinking, wow, it, it, could this just be one of these games? And it was. And it's something about Philly. Pittsburgh doesn't play well in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I think they haven't won in Philadelphia since like 1964. Oh, wow. Uh, but still, it, it, uh, it's an incredible. It's it's weird. It's just strange. They'll beat the crap out of Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, but when they go to Philly, it never ends well for Pittsburgh. So, uh, yeah, that that was a kind of a fluke game. Um, but it started a string of games that were pretty ugly for Pittsburgh. Right. I mean, well, they they bounce right back. They they beat the Chiefs. Uh, you know, a future playoff team, forty three to fourteen on Sunday Night Football, and then they 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 beat the Jets again. I mean, just racking up the points, thirty eight twenty four. 43 and 31 in your four victories, you start four and one and then it kind of goes off the rails for a month. You, you lose four straight games. Yeah. The first one at Miami where the dolphins figured out their winning formula, um, where, you know, the, it basically, you know, Jay you give him the ball and then basically it's maintenance from there. Um, you run headlong into the Patriots, um, before the bye week. And then you come back from the bye. There's your, your Baltimore Ravens game, that's a close one, twenty-one to fourteen, and then a, a classic game. I watched it. I thought it was one of the better games that was played last year against the the Cowboys, thirty-five to thirty. But you come out on the losing end, a four-game losing streak, and all of a sudden the opinion on who this team is and what they're going to be able to do had changed in that in that four-week, four-five-week span. Whereas when they were four and one, all right, this is a team. This is who we thought the Steelers were. They're a force to be reckoned with. And all of a sudden. They're what four and five, five and five, and 
things are a mess, and who knows what's going on in Pittsburgh now. Yeah, the Miami Dolphins game, and as much talent as Pittsburgh has on the team, especially on offense, it all revolves around Ben Roethlisberger. Um, Le'Veon Bell's great. Antonio Brown's tremendous. The offensive line is, is very, very good. But you take number seven out of the equation, and it's just not the same team. And if you recall, that was the game where Roethlisberger got tripped up. It was a very fluke injury, but he hurt his knee. Mm. Um, he did come back and play. wasn't effective. Couldn't complete many passes. Couldn't step into throws. Couldn't drive the ball down the field, which is what he's still accustomed to doing. And also couldn't extend the play, which anyone that follows the NFL and, and follows Ben Roethlisberger's career knows that that's where he makes his living. So he gets hurt in that game. He has to sit out the Patriots game, which is close to the score might indicate, even with Landry Jones in the game. They come off the bye. Roethlisberger comes back. He might have come back maybe a week too soon, but Roethlisberger's record coming off of an injury is just never good. I think he's only won one or two games in his career coming off of an injury. And so they have a, they have a dud in Baltimore, a game that neither team really wanted to win, but Baltimore ends up making the play when it matters the most. And then the team starts to finally get healthy. They still deal with injuries throughout the rest of the season, especially a wide receiver, but they start to get healthy, and that's when they start really going on their run, um, a run that no one felt was possible because the team had just been so inconsistent. Like you said, 4-1, and one, you dropped four in a row. How is the team going to find that level of consistency? But they were able to do that when it mattered, and it, it, it kind of started, um, you know, well, that, that first stretch, it, it just took one game, you know, it just took one game, and that's what they always say. You play one game at a time, but that's the approach they took, and it actually worked. Yeah, I mean, that, that Cowboys game was, um, you know, like I said, one of the better games that I saw, um, you know, back and forth, a real slugfest uh, between the two teams. It was kind of like watching, uh, you know, somebody play a game of Madden, whoever has the ball last is going to win uh, kind of thing um, because neither neither defense really seemed interested in, in uh, doing much uh, in that game. It was just more about who was going to score more points uh, in that one. And then after that, you're on this four-game losing streak. The the opinion of the Steelers has been lowered. Then you rattle off seven in a row to finish out the season. You're, you're eleven and five, and uh, you know now you're going into the playoffs. You know just like that. Um, you know what what was it? I mean, was it that you 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 mentioned that there was injury problems? Did you, you guys just getting healthy at the right time? Do you know? Do you think that 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 going toe to toe with the Cowboys, who regarded as one of the the best teams in the league, and 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 coming up just short in that game was enough of a morale booster to kick them in to this, uh, into this winning streak or, you know, what do you think contributed to that? Well, I think that, you know, in my opinion, the, the style of play changed. And I wrote an article for the website last year about how Ben Roethlisberger's injury might've actually been a blessing in disguise for the Steelers. And it turned it out. It turned out that that's what happened and what took place after that spawned, um, a, a drastic change in their offensive approach, but it actually led to their demise at the end of the season. And I'm sure we'll get to that when we get to the AFC Championship game. And that was they decided we're going to lean on Le'Veon Bell. We've got this workhorse running back. We've got an offensive line that, for whatever reason, Todd Haley is pass happy or whatnot. It's just so they're always stepping backwards. They're never once driving off the ball. And so all of a sudden, you've got pro bowlers like Marquise Pouncey and David DeCastro. Uh, Marcus Gilbert, who's a second-round draft pick, and all of a sudden they're just coming off the ball and they're killing people. And that's when, you know, it was the game in Buffalo when uh, I think Le'Veon Bell had had more total yardage than the Bills combined on offense, just him, 
um, in the snow. It was a tremendous game. But the Dallas game did something. It pissed them off. Um, mm. They had every they, – they should have won that game. Yeah. Um, the fake spikes, touch to touchdown to Antonio Brown, everyone thought that was it. All the, all the defense needs to do is make a stop. And, well, we all know what happened with Ezekiel running in right. um, for the touchdown. But um, they started to lean on Bell in that stretch, that seven-game stretch. They were really running the ball more. And if they weren't running it more than they were passing, it was at least balanced. You didn't have Robinsburg throwing the ball 40 times and maybe on Bell only getting 15 carries. It was more on the 30-30 or even 25-25, depending on how quick they were striking on offense. But they started to lean on the running game more, and that not only kept that Robinsburg healthy, but it really got defenses in a jam because they really didn't know how to approach stopping the Steelers because it went from – well, you just stop Antonio Brown and you stop the Steelers, but now all of a sudden you have to stop Le'Veon Bell, and he is so versatile in terms of his ability to catch the ball out of the, out of the backfield, his ability to line up as a wide receiver. They'll put him out wide and, and uh, move someone like Antonio Brown into a slot. Now it's in the defense, and not sure what to do. They put a cornerback on him, they put a safety on him, they slide a linebacker out there. It just makes it more difficult. So Le'Veon Bell was the key uh, to their success in that seven-game stretch, if you ask me. So then we go into the playoffs, and you get a rematch with the Dolphins, this time in Pittsburgh uh, in the wild card round. And if memory serves, you guys get out to like a like a really fast, like either real fast, like before anyone had a chance to get their seat warm, it's 14 to nothing, or before the end of the first quarter, it's 21 or nothing like that. And it, it basically, they're, you know, the game is in the rear view before the first quarter is even over. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I would have bet my house that the Steelers' defense was not going to let Jay Ajayi run all over them again. If they were going to, they were going to lose. They were going to make the beat by by uh, Moore, the quarterback Matt Moore, who was in for injured by Tan Hill. Um, and so they sold out to stop the run, and they shut it down. Totally shut it down. On offense, like you said, though, there were two quick strikes to Antonio Brown. It was a quick screen pass that went the distance. Roethlisberger hits him on a quick slant. That goes the distance. The next thing you know, you're looking at the Dolphins saying they're just being capable of keeping up, and obviously they weren't. Um, and so a, a pretty a pretty easy win, I guess, if there is such a thing in the playoffs, uh, capped off by, in my opinion, one of the most brutal hits I've ever seen in my life, and that was Bud Dupree's hit on that more, where he missed, I think, a snap and came back in. So I'm not sure the concussion protocol was on that one. Oh, right, but, uh, yeah. That was, that was the one that more rolled out to the right through the pass. Bud Dupree came up underneath, got his chin, and... It was vicious. It was a vicious hit. That's that's what I remember about that wild card game. And then you go to the divisional round. You're on the road at Kansas City, and um, not the most exciting game as far as you know points and stuff being scored. I think it was for the most part it was like all field goals in the game it was 18 yeah. to 16. But but you know um, you know the Steelers can't punch it into the end zone. But the what they did was they kept the ball away from Kansas City and were able to you know at least put points on the board by kicking the field goals, and the defense came up big uh, against the Chiefs, uh, you know, helping out the offense in that one. Yeah, it was um, Pittsburgh really dominated time of possession. They moved the ball at will, except in the red zone. Uh, and the Chiefs' defense had been one of the best red zone defenses, and they proved that again. Thankfully, Chris Boswell was on point. He made every single one of his field goals. I'm pretty sure he made six. Like you said, the final score was 18-16. to 16. Um, What Chiefs fans will tell you they remember about that game is the quote-unquote phantom holding call on James Harrison uh, when he was rushing the passer on a two-point conversion, which was successfully completed. They had to redo it from 10 yards back. It falls incomplete, and Pittsburgh wins the game. So 
Uh, I remember that game more about the lead-up to it. If you recall, that was supposed to be a Sunday, um, I want to say a 4 o'clock start, but due to the weather, it got pushed all the way back to 8.30, right. uh, which doesn't seem like that big of a deal. But when you think about the logistics of the traveling team, which was the Steelers, they win the game. Now they're going to have to get on the plane, get home late. They're going to be a day behind. The Patriots won their game, so they're at home. Um, it just really kind of put the Steelers, set them back a little bit. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, it was a win that I don't think anyone would be proud of on the offensive side of the ball, but the defense can certainly hang their hat and they made enough plays to win. And then you get to the AFC Championship game, and it's just something about Brady and Belichick in the AFC Championship game that uh, regardless of the location, because I think you guys have played them twice in, in, in Pittsburgh, and then I think this is the first time uh, in, in New England for the AFC title game, 0-3 in, in, in all uh, instances. What exactly went bad for the for the Steelers in this one? Because it was a 36-17 final score for that one. Well, first, I mean, if you look at the score at halftime, it wasn't it wasn't as far out of reach as everyone thinks. I mean, everyone thinks about the end score, the final score, and rightfully so. But there was a game going into halftime. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers were were hanging in there. But the biggest key is what I alluded to earlier: that what spawned the seven-game winning streak to end the season was Le'Veon Bell, and then Le'Veon Bell has to be taken out of the game in the first quarter right. because of a groin injury. The groin injury that eventually had to have, so had, to have surgery to have it repaired in the offseason. When you have a, a player like that and you base so much of your offense around his capabilities and then he's removed from the biggest game of the season, D'Angelo Williams is great. He was a great backup when he was with Pittsburgh. He's not able to do that. And so now all of a sudden the entire game plan that they put in from day one that they got back from Pittsburgh from Kansas City till they went to New England, it's basically thrown out the window. And so now all of a sudden New England knows they don't have their number one gun. And that's what everyone, every, every podcast, every radio show that I did, everyone asked me, how do you stop Pittsburgh's offense? And I said the same thing, you stop Le'Veon Bell. Well, Le'Veon Bell is a game in New England now knows it's all Antonio Brown and it's all Ben Roethlisberger. So they blanket Antonio Brown. The Steelers didn't have a second wide receiver that was worth a crap last year. And because of that, they end up losing. And it would have helped if one of their defensive backs could actually guard Chris Hogan. But uh, <laughs> nonetheless, um, that, was, that was the way the season ended. It, it definitely left a better taste than the Steelers players now as well as the fan base. Well, I mean, if you, you look at, um, you know, we, we go into free agency and in, into the draft, it definitely looks like they were gearing up to fix those uh, problems. I mean, they um, – they franchise Le'Veon Bell to make sure he doesn't get away. You you give Antonio Brown an extension. Uh, you bring back the ageless wonder that is James Harrison. And then you go out and you sign a Justin Hunter from, away from the Bills. You get some depth at running back with Kyle Davis. And, um, you know, Cody Sensabaugh is, is coming in at corner. And then you also uh, get some depth up inside on the defensive line and, and Tyson Alualu from the, from the Jaguars, you know, any one of those moves that you were a big fan of in particular, like you know, the, the new additions at least, the Hunter, Sensabaugh, Davison, uh, Alulu? Um, I, I would say out of the four free agent pickups that Pittsburgh made, um, Tyson Alulu from Jacksonville would be the guy. Um, the Steelers uh, had to live without Cam Hayward last year for the majority of the season. He tore a, a pectoral muscle and was done for the year. Um, they were able to manage, but at the same time, they didn't have that quality player that could step in and really fill that void. And so what Tyson Alawalu brings to the team 
is not only experience, he brings pedigree. He also brings versatility. This is a guy that can play the defensive end position in the 3-4 defense, can also play nose tackle. Um, he's going to be a great guy that can come in, spell stuff onto it, spell Cam Hayward, spell Javon, Javon Hargrave at nose tackle if need be. And if one of those three players goes down with injury, that's a guy they can plug in. So it gives them quality depth. Other than that, um, those, those players that you named either have a niche role like Niall Davis. He's probably going to be a kick return specialist. And maybe here, here or there in the backfield, he's not really a running back. He's more of a specialty guy. Uh, but also, Cody Sensabaugh and uh, Justin Hunter uh, from Buffalo, those guys are going to be playing for depth spots. Sure. Um, the, wide receiving, the wide receiver battle for the Steelers is just going to be ridiculous uh, this, uh, this preseason. It's going to be fun to watch. But he's not he doesn't have a spot on this team right now, and there's a lot of people that project that he's not going to make the team. Uh, Sensible has a better chance, but at the same time, they drafted two cornerbacks this year. I'm sure we're going to talk about that at some point. Mm-hmm. And his job isn't safe either. So the Steelers never are big players in free agency. They've never believed in that. They're going to sign their own guys. Uh, we mentioned Le'Veon Bell, a couple other uh, role players that are sticking around. Um, and they're going to let players that they think aren't worthy of staying, they're going to let them walk. You'll get most of Marcus Heaton, you'll get Jarvis Jones, um, even Lawrence Denton goes down to Miami. It's just the way the Steelers do business. They're not going to make any moves on day one, two, three, four, at the first week of free agency. They're going to wait until everyone else has kind of picked over things and they're going to find guys that they think fit. And that's exactly what they did. Yeah, so you mentioned Timmons. Uh, he walked. Uh, also, Jarvis Jones goes to Arizona. D'Angelo Williams, you didn't bring him. Uh, back as far as has he signed with anybody yet that you know of? Because the last time I checked, he was no. still a free agent. Okay, and he's then still, he's still a free agent. In my opinion, he's going to be there. There, there. Oh my gosh, someone got hurt in training camp. Guy, yeah. <laughs> you sure. know, um, they might have said, "Hey, keep your phone handy, stay in shape. Uh, if something goes wrong, something goes south, uh, your phone's going to be ringing." So that's that's my guess. So, and aside from telling me that he dropped a touchdown pass against Philadelphia, what else? Can you tell us, Bear fans, about the guy that we got in Marcus Wheaton? So, I mean, because we know who he is, um, you know, um, but, you know, he's basically, you know, he's getting paid like $5 million a year to join the Bears and get a chance to play probably more than he would have when he was in Pittsburgh. So what do we as Bear fans have to look forward to from Marcus Wheaton? Well, um, some pros and cons of of Marcus Wheaton. Uh, The pros are he has tremendous speed. Um, he's a great route runner. He's got tremendous versatility. He can play the outside as well as the slot positions. A very intelligent player. Uh, he works yeah. well with quarterbacks that he can even ad lib. Obviously, you, if you're successful with Ben Roethlisberger, you're going to have to know how to break off your route, find the open spots in the zones, all that stuff. Right. So that, those are the pros. The cons are that he is typically he has been injury prone in his time in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. His rookie year, he had some fingers that were mangled up. Um, for a receiver, that's an issue. Um, obviously, he's had some knee issues uh, last year in the shoulder that eventually had that surgery on that ended the season. Um, he is tough. I'll give him that. But at the same time, he just hasn't been on the field that much for Pittsburgh. Uh, and there are some times where he drops the the very easy catch. He'll make some catches that make you just drop your jaw, but at the same time, he'll also make you he'll drop some passes that will make you just want to slap somebody. 
So um, <laughs> he's very inconsistent. Uh, he's still a young player. I think he has a high ceiling. If I were going to give you a player that I would say his ceiling is close to, I'd say Emmanuel Sanders. A uh, very similar okay. player when he was in Pittsburgh, uh, left and went to Denver and produced well. Now he had a guy named Peyton Manning turning in the football, so go figure. But at the same time, um, very similar careers in Pittsburgh in terms of injuries, consistency, and found a new home somewhere else where they were successful. So I think Marcus could be successful if he's in the right offense, he has the right quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure if that's necessarily your all situation out there with Glennon and uh, your rookies that you have there, but nonetheless, he should be a good player. He can also return punting kickoffs too, so they added to that versatility. Okay. Well, I, f- I feel a little bit better about it now, I guess, but uh, hearing the injury-prone thing, that's not that's not a favorite. But um, So then we go into the draft, and this is where basically, this is where Pittsburgh eats right here. This is, you know, they, 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 they're like the, in my opinion, they're kind of like the Packers of the AFC. This is a team that, as you said, doesn't really mess around much in free agency, basically does more in the draft and hanging on to their, onto their own guys. And First pick right off the bat, um, you know, picking, basically adding depth behind what was left behind by Lawrence Timmons and, and Jarvis Jones. You go out and get uh, T.J. Watt uh, from Wisconsin. Um, how are you feeling about that? He really only played one year at defensive end before, you know, at Wisconsin because he was a tight end for the first couple years of his career. Then they slot him over to defense. The next thing you know, he's a first-round pick. Yeah, I mean, put up double digits, put up 11 and a half sacks. Yeah. Only year of really starting, I mean. That's impressive. Uh, he's got the pedigree. We all know what his brother can do. Right. Um, and a lot of people, uh, even Steelers fans, are sick and tired of hearing about J.J. Watt. Um, I was having said, and this guy, has, if you follow his background, his history, he's very tight with his brothers. His other brother in between is also a fullback for the Chargers. Most people right. forget that. Um, so you get free NFL players there. This guy's going to know what it takes before he even steps onto the field. And he trained with his brother, J.J. Watt, and everything that has been said about him so far in off-season workouts, without him working minicamp, OTAs, and mandatory minicamp, has been glowing. And the Steelers, I don't know about the Bears or anywhere else, they're not quick to he- to give praise to rookies. You know, you, there's always the comments of, hey, how's the rookie doing? Uh, he's still a rookie. Got a lot of learning to do. They ask about J.J. Watt, and it's, this kid's impressive. He's not making mental mistakes. He's where he's supposed to be. He knows the defense. He's in shape. Um, and do I think he's going to step on and let him on day one and be an impact player? No, not necessarily. What I think you're going to see is a guy that can be out there in sub-packages, which the Steelers run a lot of, about 75% of their defense is sub-package football, and he can spell James Harrison. James Harrison needs a break. You put T.J. Watt in there, you got a different type of uh, pass rusher. You know, James Harrison is still the bigger, stronger. He's going to bull rush you. He's going to rip underneath. T.J. Watt's a little bit different. He's a much faster um, uh, a player who can really beat you with speed. And so he's going to really toy with some uh, left tackles on that right side of the defense. Uh, so, you know, Bud Dupree, who everyone is hoping can be a really dominant force this year, it's going to leave them with more one-on-one coverage. So if he can beat, beat that one-on-one, um, it's going to be exciting to watch T.J. Watt grow in a black and gold uniform. And then in, in the second round, kind of some insurance, in my opinion, just in case Martavius Bryant doesn't bring his brain with him uh, to the football field. I mean, it was suspended for all of 20, uh, 2016. You know, I, I know that you as a Steeler fan probably excited the prospect of him being back, but just in case, if he screws up, he's pretty much done. So you go out and you get Juju Smith-Schuster from USC in the second round to kind of, 
you know, add add depth to a, the receiver position just in case, right? Yeah, um, I think the the media, the national media, put way too much of an onus on the, the second round pick of Julius Smith-Schuster as an answer to what could go wrong with Martavis Bryant. And I'm not <laughs> saying it didn't factor into it at all, right? But I don't think it was that much of a. I don't think it was that big a deal. Let's go back to New England and what New England does so well. They've got so many different options in every single play, whether they're in three, four wide receiver sets, and every single receiver on the field is a threat. Well, you go back to 2016 without Martavis Bryant. You had Sammy Coe, who was ineffective due to a broken hand or finger. You had Darius Hayner Bay, who has a history of just being inconsistent, and he was injured as well. Uh, Eli Rogers, Kobe Hamilton, which most, I would say, 99.9% of NFL fans would say who, right. when I asked them who Kobe Hamilton was. And you had Antonio Brown. They just needed another weapon. And Juju Smith-Schuster looks and feels when he watches routes, when he watches the way he goes in the middle. And it was a comparison um, on his scout report coming out of college. Is Anquan Bolt, just a fierce competitor. He's not scared. He's going to make a tough play. Uh, and they wanted a guy like that that can play the slot. And so it's going to give them with Martavis Bryant back. And you hope that Martavis Bryant isn't stupid enough to blow this final opportunity that he has uh, by the NFL. This Steelers passing attack is going to be really, really dynamic, more so than it was even in the past. I mean, you think about it, Marquez Bryant, Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster, Eli Rogers. If you want to go four wide, that's what it's going to look like. And then you still have Le'Veon Bell, who can come out of the backfield. All I can say is good luck. But I don't think Juju Smith-Schuster was as much a response to Marquez Bryant's off-field issues as most people made it out to be. I think it was just they wanted one more piece that could help them exploit defenses like the Patriots, like the Ravens, because those are the teams you're going to have to beat if they want to get to Super Bowl 52. Yeah, I can definitely, you know, see being in the war room, uh, you know, for the Steelers and, uh, you know, the basically the scouts running down the intangibles of this kid. You know, he's an Anquan Bolden type. You know, he gives us versatility. He adds this, blah, blah, blah. And just in case things go sideways with Bryant, we've got another piece. Yep. You know, he can also help yeah. us out. Like, if it's more of a footnote, then it's like, well, we got to have somebody that's going to replace Brian if he screws up again. You know, like you said, I, exactly. I heard a lot about that, too. I heard a lot about the uh, the Brian thing. That's why I brought it up was, uh, you know, with the, you know, was this insurance or was it, uh, you know, was that kind of the, like a footnote to the whole thing. So, but then in, in the third round, two really interesting picks, um, the Cameron Sutton, you know, adding help with the at the cornerback position, but James Conner, the running back, kind of a hometown kid uh, out of Pitt, being drafted in the third round. All of the research that I did when I was leading up to it, this is the guy that they're expecting to be there behind Le'Veon Bell, not uh, like you mentioned before, not Niall Davis, more uh, this kid, James Conner, uh, the running back out of Pittsburgh. Yeah, and again, the media ran with this because. I mean, this kid has a story that's made for Disney. I mean, oh yeah, for sure. He gets yeah. he gets injured. He injured his injured his knee. Finds out he has cancer. He battles cancer. Comes back. He's able to play. He's able to get drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, who they shared a facility with a pit. I mean, just it's ridiculous. I mean, you, you hear if you talk to someone that doesn't follow football and say you think this is a real story, they say no, it's not. He probably just made that up. But and that's the thing is that this story is incredible. But if you go back to before he got hurt, before yeah. the cancer diagnosis, yeah. this guy was an absolute beast. I mean, he ran hard. He's physical. He ran people over. 
And I think it's that change of pace that Pittsburgh wanted. And Pittsburgh, because they share a facility with Pitt, you have to understand that they absolutely did their homework on him. They talked to the doctors that are treating him. They, they, there's a reason why when James Conner came to the rookie minicamp, he said, I'm finally getting back to 100%. In 2016, when he played at Pitt, he put up decent numbers, but he was he said, I wasn't healthy. I wasn't 100%. And so the fact that he could be 100% and him and Le'Veon Bell in the backfield in terms of, you know, Bell needs a break, Conner goes in, what a change of pace back that would be. Um, a ton of upside for him, I think. And, and it could be a steal. It could be an absolute steal in the third round. Yeah, because like you said, before he got injured, I mean, he got hurt as a as a junior, and that's when when the whole thing went sideways on him. He gets hurt early on in the season. Going into that season, he was basically like, lock it up, this kid's going to be a surefire first round, maybe even top 10 pick in 2016, not 2017. He's going to go through this 2015 season like like the beast that he's been so far. Then he's going to get drafted in 2016, but because of the whole uh, you know, cancer thing, he had to he had to actually play out his his college career just to get this far. Yeah, so I mean, it is a great story, and I'm not taking anything away from the story. But for those that you know, kind of want to make his draft choice be about the story, well, that's not giving him the credit he deserves because he's a hell of a football player, right? And yeah. so I think that the Steelers are, are are looking at, it. and that's what Mike Tomlin said. The first thing that he was asked was about James Conner and the story. He look. We didn't make a pick because of his story. We made a pick because we like him as a football player. Well, he's a high-character guy. That's a, a strong emphasis for the Steelers in this, in this draft. And um, they think he's going to help them win. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how they work him into the, the rotation this year. I've always loved Mike Tomlin. He always, he's always reminded me of the guys that I played for when I was in, in, in high school. I had coaches just like him uh, in high school. Very to the point, no mincing words, you know, he's, always serious all the time when it was time for uh for business and he's not one of those guys that's going to play the or toe the company line when it comes to you know or what the what the PR guys would like him to say about this that or the other he's going to give you you know his mind and 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 uh you know I've always liked uh I've always liked him you know his press conferences and you know the Steelers didn't play well he's going to say we didn't play well you know instead of just saying you know ah well you know we could have done better and blah I was like no we were terrible and we're going to be better next week. That's all I can tell you. Yeah. A lot of people in Pittsburgh don't like him. Um, it's really? It's a shame. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers have, I mean, there's a reason they have only had three coaches since 1969. Right. Um, and the, the, for some reason, they don't trust the Rooney's in the decision that they made when they hired Mike Tomlin. A lot of people think it was um, racially motivated because of the Rooney rule and, and all that. Um, I personally think that is outlandish to say and to think, but at the same time, you can't take away success. Um, outside of, you know, he won Super Bowl 43, he was in Super Bowl 45, where they lost a great day. Um, this guy has coached in the league for 10 seasons and never had a losing season. The worst he's done is 8-8. Eight eight. Yeah. Um, he's won the division multiple times. He's been in the playoffs the last four seasons. Um, I, I, outside of a Super Bowl win, you really can't pick on Mike Tomlin too much. You can say, yeah, he loses this bad team sometimes. That's true. I get that. But at the same time, Mike Tomlin is a tremendous coach. Uh, I can't think of too many coaches I'd rather have on the sideline for the Pittsburgh Steelers, to be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, when, uh, I mean, he was a real surprise 
higher. But, you know, from from what I heard at the time when he did get hired, it's just because when he went in there, he just blew everyone away and became the candidate. I mean, there were favorites for that job. I don't remember who they were, but all I know is that once Tomlin had his interview, he was the guy and it was his job to lose. Yeah, it was uh, Ken Wisenhunt. Right. Uh, who's actually been out of Arizona, as well right. as Russ Grimm, former offensive line coach, former offensive lineman for the Redskins. Uh, they were both the three candidates that they were going to interview. And uh, everyone thought it was going to be Wisenhunt. He was in the system and everything. And um, when Tomlin came in, and everything that I've heard about that interview was Tomlin was very blunt, just like he is at his press conferences, just like he is when talking to the media. This is how I'm going to run the team. This is what I'm going to expect. This is how things are going to run. I think we can win right now. And he blew him away, like you said. Now, could the Rooney rule have gotten him into the door? Well, that's the whole purpose of the Rooney rule. Right. And so, um, you know, kudos to the Steelers for following their own guidelines. Um, obviously, a lot of teams have kind of skirted around that. But uh, that's another discussion for another time. All right. So as we, we start to wrap things up here, we go to the to the schedule. So we start to look ahead. Um, this year, you guys have the... Let's see. You have the NFC North, obviously, and was it yep. the AFC South? Yes. Yep. You got the Texans, the Colts, and so on. Um, and you know, it's like I know that was well, like once you get to like week five, you can start flexing and all that kind of stuff. But it's like when I I was surprised to see that that we weren't going to be seeing the Steelers on national television until week eight because you don't play on Monday night. There's no Thursday night games. All that stuff, you know, only before until week eight, you play Detroit on, on Sunday night football. That seems kind of odd for the Steelers. Well, there's a reason why. If you look in that back half, there's a stretch of four games. Well, I, I saw that. That's four straight yeah. yeah, I was going to bring that <laughs> up, but it's just like, you yeah. know, usually it's it's spread out. You usually see the, the Steelers much earlier in the season, but yeah. it's week eight before we see them on national TV uh, for the first time. Yeah. And I just thought that yeah, was, that was, a, that was yeah. weird. Sorry. The NFL is very smart, and they, when they put the schedule together, the Steelers have, I want to say, the weakest first quarter uh, schedule in the NFL. Maybe if you stretch it the first five games. Um, and so I think that the NFL said, look, we're, we're thinking Pittsburgh's going to come out of this, these first five games at the worst. If everything goes as planned, four and one. So they're going to be one of those teams that are being talked about. And then for the second half of the season, boy, they've got a murderer's race schedule. Yeah. We're going to put those games on prime time. We're going to get max viewing because the Steelers fan base is gargantuan. Um, and we're going to really maximize our revenue with the Steelers. Because let's be honest, that's what it's all about for the NFL, the money, yeah. the revenue. So um, there really aren't many games in the first, I even say in the first half, that I would say, yeah, should be a prime time game. Um but maybe the Ravens game. I think they played the Ravens maybe week four. Yep. But um, you know, that's probably a game that CBS might uh, you know, they might protect that game. That might be a, a pretty much a national TV game. I don't know. Is that, is that a one o'clock start? I don't know. Uh, it's it's at time. it's at Baltimore, so it could be a noon. Yeah, yeah. It could be a noon game. But um, you know, you're right. I'm looking at those first five games. Uh, the teams in those first five games: Cleveland, Minnesota, Chicago. Baltimore and Jacksonville. Baltimore is the winningest team in that group with eight games. Jacksonville had, yep. what, three or four. The Bears had three. Yep. Minnesota had, yep. what, six or seven. And um, Cleveland obviously only had one. So, yeah. Right. 
Yeah. So, I mean, the first game where I would say, you know, like, like I, I agree with you. After those first five games, the Steelers should be 5-0 and or 4-1 and going into that game yeah. at Kansas City. So, I mean, that's, exactly. that's like the first real threat of a game where it's like, yeah, there's a good chance, you know, Arrowhead, you know, tough team in, in Kansas City, whole nine yards, probably the favorite in the AFC West again this year uh, kind of thing. That's the first game you look at, like, yep, yeah, that's probably the one that, that might be the, the first L. Uh, on the board for the Steelers. So week six, and, and uh, you're right, the first five games, uh, not very impressive outside of that Baltimore game on the road. Yeah, it's um, I, it's kind of shocking, but at the same time, I, I know why the NFL did it. Um, they want those big games later in the year. They want them to mean something, and they want to, um, you know, they, they want viewers to be glued to their TV set talking about, hey, cannot wait for this Pittsburgh you know, whatever game. Uh, I know Pittsburgh Green Bay is a, a primetime game. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they put Pittsburgh, Tennessee on Thursday night, which I don't really understand. But Tennessee, hey, you know, they had a good year last year. They're in a weak division. But um, Marcus Mariota, they've got some pieces down there that they're starting to, you know, work with. So uh, it's it's interesting how they put the schedule together. But I think Pittsburgh, if they can get off to a good start, it's going to really help them in the back half because that's when we get teams like Detroit who are very capable, um, you have Tennessee, you have uh, the New England Patriots, you have the, the Green Bay Packers. Um, there's not many cupcakes in the back half, as I call yeah. them when I look at the schedule. You know, you, the Cleveland Brown game that you're like, oh, we can get right on that that, that week. Um, so they're going to have to win the games that they should, which has been an issue with Mike Tomlin. I talked about that earlier, and a lot of people say that you know, he can't win those those tough games. So they're going to have to, I'm not saying the tough games, the games that a lot of people chalk up as W's when they first see the schedule. Um, they're going to have to win those games. They can't drop a game against like a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars because it's going to come back and haunt them at the end of the season. Right. Yeah, I mean, because uh, you know, I, I was talking about it earlier uh, on the show before we started uh, talking was the, the last time that the Steelers traveled to Chicago. Uh, number one, they were the defending world champions uh, in 2009, and it was Jay Cutler's first home game as quarterback for the Bears, and it was uh, a very close game. The Bears ended up winning uh, in the final seconds mm-hmm. with a with a with a field goal, something you weren't expecting to see with the defending world champions coming to town against this this team that just got killed by the Packers a week before uh, on national TV. So, um, you know, those are the kind of games that can get dangerous playing, and it's and it's early again, week number three in Chicago. Um, yeah. You know, who knows what's what's going to be happening. Uh, then and, and really don't really know what we're going to get out of this Bears team uh, this year, mostly because we were so ravaged with injuries. We weren't a very good team to begin with, and then we got murdered by injury. So we really don't know what we have uh, this season. But, you know, games like that, that first half, you really do have to be careful. And, um, you know, so when you when you say that with the with the way that they play against, are the, are, are, is, is that a problem with Tomlin where they play down? To their competition, so they're getting in trouble in these with these games against like the Browns and the, the the Jaguars and stuff like that, where they can get they're kind of leaving it out there. They can get caught in one of those games. Is that oh, yeah. a problem that Tomlin's had? Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah, you you can point to several games and, and some of the games even one is the last time they played the Jaguars was down in Jacksonville. Um, they almost yeah. lost that football game if it wasn't for a pick six by Bryce McCain. Um, they they probably lose that game, the Blake Bortles and the Jacksonville Jaguars, a game that you should never lose. Um, uh, you go back to when Mike Lennon 
led the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to victory at Heinz Field, in a game that would have been huge for playoff implications in the division race. Um, they've had Bruce Gronkowski come to Pittsburgh with the hapless Oakland Raiders and beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, it's happened on the road. It's happened at home. They lost yeah. to the New York Jets with Michael Vick, a quarterback a few years ago, right. where, again, there, there's no reason a team like the Steelers, and I don't say just because they're the Steelers, but because they're a better team, should lose that game, and yet that's what's happened. So it's kind of become status quo. Uh, and unfortunately, there's only one way to fix it, and that's for them to just finally get over that proverbial hump to beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. And, uh, you know, not you know, if you lose to New England, you can kind of justify that. Not that it needs justification, right? but if you lose to a team like the Jaguars or to a team that's just really not any good, you can yeah, say it, dude. It's the Bears. You can say it. You can. You can't lose that game to the Bears. It's, they were three and thirteen, well, no, and they not, were horrendous not, last year. So you can say it. Not in week. Not in week three. No. You know, not exactly. In week three. You know yeah. that's the thing. You, you know you're going to be in Chicago. When I looked at the schedule. I saw Cleveland week one. I'm like, good. You're getting that Cleveland game, which the weather can be absolutely god awful at the end of the season. Yeah. Out of the way. And it's the same thing with Chicago. I said I'd rather get there in week three than in week thirteen when you have the wind, the snow. It's those variables that can really even the playing field, and the Pittsburgh Steelers get that game out of the way. So, no, in week three, you can't lose to Chicago. Mm -hmm. If you want to compete at that second half, you know, and you can't expect a seven-game winning streak at the end of the season because the last seven games are much more difficult than they were in 2016. So, um, yeah, teams like the Bears, teams like the Jaguars that they have on their schedule have to win those games. Very important. So let's talk about that second half. You, You have your bye week, week nine. So dead set right in the middle of the season. Same as the Bears, as a matter of fact. You're at Indianapolis. Then you quick turnaround Thursday night against Tennessee. That's at home. Then you're home for the Sunday night against Green Bay. Then at Cincinnati on Monday night. So three national TV games in a row to make up for only one in the first eight weeks. Then home for the Ravens. Home for the Patriots. At the Texans on Christmas Day. And I think that's like a Christmas afternoon game or something like that. But it's a um, mm-hmm. it's a it's a Monday in the afternoon. If, if I'm I was like four thirty in the afternoon on a Monday, which is so weird when I first looked at it, but then I saw it was Christmas Day. So then of course, okay, that makes sense. And then you wrap it up same way you start. You start with Cleveland on the road, then you finish with Cleveland at home. And out of those games that you have, those last eight, that's probably the only um, easy game you have in those last eight games. Yeah, it's the only cupcake. So. The Steelers are going to have to take care of business. That's the only thing that I always heed my readers and <laughs> listeners. We have our own podcast and stuff. Um, is that, you know, if people look back last year uh, and even the year before that and they look at, oh my gosh, look at this murderous row part of our schedule. And so much changes throughout the season, you know. Um, last year, everyone looked at that Indianapolis Colts game on Thanksgiving and said this could be a loss. Well, they ended up going up against. Um, I don't know, their third-string quarterback or their backup. I can't remember the guy's name. Yeah. Scott Toldine, that's his name, Scott Toldine. They didn't play Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was hurt. Uh, they were ravaged by injury. Next thing you know, that Colts game turned into a real tough game preseason to this is a game the Steelers should handle them easily. Yeah. Game. And so a lot can change. Heck, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's to curse anybody, although I wouldn't mind it. Tom Brady goes down and, and you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is, supposed to be great and all but at the same time 
you don't know what New England would be like without that him. You don't know what um, a lot of teams, Aaron Rodgers goes down for Green Bay, and actually you know the Green Bay game isn't going to be that tough when they come to Pittsburgh uh, late in the season. So I always tell my fans, you know, looking and trying to predict the schedule, yeah, you can do analysis and you can talk about you know, where you're playing, like we mentioned with Cleveland and, and Chicago earlier this season, but ultimately you, know, you just got to take it as it comes because a lot is going to change. Look at the Houston Texans last year with J.J. Watt being hurt, even though they kind of turned it around. And what are they going to be like this year? Everyone's saying it's going to be such a tough team, but maybe they're not going to be that tough. Yeah. It, it's just it's just a crapshoot. Yeah, no, you're definitely right about that. So, I mean, things could be – things. I mean, it, and it happens every year that there's, you know, three or four teams that come from out of nowhere to make the playoffs, that were watching the playoffs at home the year before. And, uh, you know, it happens all the time. And, and it's always a surprise. At least one of two, one or two of those teams is like, seriously, that team's going to make a run this year uh, kind of thing. So, I mean, a lot of things can change. And, you know, injuries level the playing field. So, it uh, – you're right. It is uh, definitely a long season, even though it goes by in the blink of an eye. Um, it's definitely a long season. A lot can happen uh, in those uh, in those 17 weeks. So, but um, if you had to put a number on it, I mean, have you done that yet? Have you looked at the schedule and say, "I see 12 wins. I see 11 wins." <clears throat> where, where are you? Where are you eyeballing yeah. at this point? Um, my well, I, I'd, I'd say that if I were going to give like an average, I'd say my average is a 12 and four season for the Steelers. Um, they, they're just going to be, if they're healthy, and that's a huge if for any NFL team, but if they're healthy, they're going to be a really, really good football team. I mean, offensively, defensively, he's going to be better as well. Um, you had Mark Davis, Brian, back in the mix, we talked about what he does in terms of the defense and how they're not going to be able to just triple team or double team Antonio Brown every time because if Mark Davis, Brian, single covered on the other side, well, good night, good luck. Um, so, they're going to be a really good team. I could beat this team if they don't lose the team, like I talked about earlier, the games they should win. I, I could see 13 and 3. I could see them vying for a, a top seed in the AFC. But, you know, you, you lose a couple of those, you trip up when you shouldn't. Uh, you lose some close games like that Dallas game last year. I could see 10 and 6, 11 and 5 as well. So um, I think that they're definitely going to get double digits. And I think that's going to be a question. The matter of the question will be will they win the division? Uh, will they have a top seed in the NFL, in the AFC playoffs? Will maybe the road the Super Bowl 52 for the AFC go through Heinz Field? I think that's what has to happen if they want to get through the Patriots. But uh, a lot has to be done. It's a tough division in the AFC North. And uh, we'll see. I'm excited for it, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, like, when it's, like I said, today I was reading up on on everything, and I, I have two NFL preview magazines. Both of them are th- over the moon uh, about the offense, and it's the the defense is going to be good, but that's the side of the field that has questions. And looking at last year's schedule, where you're averaging like 30 points a game, but you're allowing somewhere in the 20s as well, it, uh, you know, it basically looks like it's all up to the defense is like how far the season can go. Yeah, uh, the defense needs to create more turnovers, need to get to the quarterback more, um, the secondary is going to be better, but they're still young. So, uh, yeah, it's going to come down to the defense. You can't expect the offense, as good as they are, as good as they can be, to score 30 points a game. That's the goal. I think they set that goal every year for the offense. We want to score 30 points a game on average. So if they can do that, that's awesome. It's going to make the defensive life a little bit easier, but at the same time, there's going to be those games against the Green Bay and um, teams like that where – 
you're not going to get to 30. And so you're going to have the defense to keep them off a number. Uh, you'd like to have them not getting up over 20 points a game, but uh, it should be better than last year in a lot of different ways. But it's going to come down to the defense, like you said. All right. Well, thanks so much uh, for hanging out with us, uh, Jeff. We look forward to uh, to having you back on. We like to have all our guests preview the games uh, with us. So uh, week number three, um, let's get back together and uh, see where we're at after those first two games and uh, you know how much we're looking forward to playing each other in Soldier Field again. Absolutely. Sounds good. Great. You said you have a podcast. What's it called? Uh, the Standard is the Standard. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And, of course, you can find them as well on uh, Behind the Steel Curtain on SB Nation. Jeff, thanks so much for helping us out, and uh, we'll see you in September. As always, want to thank our guest, uh, Jeff Hartman, for being on the show. Looking forward to uh, having that conversation with him early uh, in the season. Uh, the Bears and the Steelers butting heads week number three. Yeah, week number three in Chicago. So, um, you know, if uh, memory serves, the first time, the last time that the Bears and the Steelers played each other in Chicago, the Steelers were the defending world champions. They had won the title in 2008, and it was Jay Cutler's first win as starting quarterback of the Chicago Bears, having lost the first game. I think we played them week two that year. So week one against the Steelers, or week one against the Packers, that Sunday night game, four picks and, and all the rest of that mess. Then he comes back and, and, and leads a, a victory, a last-minute victory. I think a field goal from Robbie Gold won that game. Uh, last-minute victory over the defending world champions as his first win as the starting quarterback of our beloved Chicago Bears. So hopefully uh, we can have a, a nice, fun, exciting game like that one that has a similar outcome with the Bears pulling out a, a victory over a, uh, a perennial playoff team uh, in the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it's going to happen early. Week number three at Soldier Field, September 24th. So we'll be talking to Jeff uh, that week uh, to get ready uh, for that particular uh, battle. So, um, so that's it. You know, AFC North. Close the book on those guys. Uh, you know we'll be uh, we'll be seeing them um, kind of scattered throughout the schedule. I think we got like week three for week three for the Steelers. I think week six for the Ravens, and then something like thirteen and sixteen for the um, for the Bengals and the Browns uh, respectively. So we got two in the top half, two in the the bottom half uh, of the schedule. So we'll be spreading them out there. But we got the the better two teams in the first half of the schedule. And, uh, you know, the Bengals are still a pretty formidable team. If they're healthy this year, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with at, at the very least in their division um, the, the, this season. So, um, you know, it's a tough division that we're going to have to get through. The, the Ravens supposed to be better uh, on defense. Like we talked to Matt Stevens last week about that. Uh, all the draft picks and all the rebuilding that Cleveland is doing. You know, we talked to Josh Edwards. Uh, about that Kyle Phelps filling us in on uh, you know everything that's going on with Cincinnati you know regardless of whether or not Marvin Jones or excuse me Marvin Lewis not Marvin Jones Marvin Lewis Marvin Jones would be the linebacker Marvin Lewis the head coach whether he should be sticking around uh, and what the odds are that he'll be back um, if the Bengals are successful this again and then you know Jeff Hartman uh, filling us in on uh, you know Mike Tomlin and Big Ben and then uh you know, what he thinks is going to go down with the 
with this team, what their future is going to be like. Cause um, the Steelers aren't one so much to, to rebuild so much as they are to reload. I mean, that's kind of been their, their MO. They're an extremely well uh, run uh, organization that is successful more than they're not. So um, I can't really even remember like a lull period, you know, they've had a down year here and there, you know, that kind of thing. But for the most part, they're at the top or close to it uh, every single every single season. You know, you don't. Re- I can't even remember the last time that I saw the Steelers picking in the top ten. Uh, the the only time that comes to mind actually was the year that they picked Big Ben in two thousand and four when they were drafting eleventh. I mean, that's where they picked him was at number eleven. So I don't know, um, but um, you know, they're they're getting up there in years. They're gonna have to find an exit strategy for Big Ben one of these days, and. Uh, We'll see how much uh, how much further along uh, that is, and um, what the Steelers are going to go ahead uh, and do about it. So, but like I said, that's going to close the book on the AFC North. We now move on to the NFC South. Brian Beversluice from Cat Scratch uh, Reader is going to get us started this Thursday. I'll be talking to him on Thursday, and like I said, the show will come out either Friday, maybe Saturday at the at the latest, in case my uh, my traveling gets me too busy to release the show on. On, on Friday, but I will keep you guys uh, posted. I'll be talking to him on Thursday to get that in the can. And then, uh, you know, we have uh, we have the Saints uh, next week and uh, made a new friend today because uh, our quote-unquote friends from the Canal Street Chronicles haven't gotten back to me on who's going to be talking to me and when they're going to be available and all that stuff. So I decided to go out searching. And uh, fansided.com, who we've had some friends join us on the show uh, you know, from before, um, uh, I was able to find Tyler Raymond, uh, from the who Dat dish, uh, page uh, for fansided.com. Also uh, co-host of the who Dat dish podcast, which just released its first episode last week is, is releasing a new one today. As far as their Twitter accounts are concerned, this literally happened inside of like 15 minutes. You know, I, I found him on, uh, on online, um, you know, saw that they had the, the post on the fan sided page for the saints. And then it was him and, and his co-host. Um, so I emailed him and said, Hey, I'm looking for somebody to talk about the saints and, um, sent him the email, then went on Twitter and told him to check his email. Like literally moments later, he did got back to me, said he was in. So he's in Tyler Raymond from who that dish uh, for fansided.com going to be joining us to talk about the saints. Uh, that'll be early, early next week. And then, uh, hopefully I, th- uh, we're waiting to hear back from Sander Phillips to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And we've got our Atlanta Falcon guest, uh, locked down, uh, as well. So, and then I've already started sending feelers out to our NFC North brethren. Already heard back from Jeremy Reisman. He is in and looking to hear from Evan Western and Chris Gates to see when we can get them on the show as well. And then, like I said, trying to figure out who I want to do for the Bears. I want to do something different this time around or don't want to keep going back to the well. So we'll have to wait uh, and see uh, on that. So like I said, all done with the AFC North. Moving on to the NFC South with the Panthers will be at the official halfway mark of these 14 opponent preview episodes as we wrap up these terrible summer months before we get to football and the fall and reasonable weather and enjoying life once again even if the Bears are losing, at least football is being played again. So, uh, you know, that we can always take solace in that. So um, that is going to do it for me. Like I said, we'll see you back this weekend 
with uh, part number seven, the very first NFC South show. So until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Chicago Bears Review.